Hey everybody, it's Kurt Riemann for the Alaska Music Podcast. This week we're going to throw back to the 80s and the music scene in Alaska. We're going to revisit music from two of my favorite bands, Model Citizen and the XQs. A lot was going on in the scene back then, but anyone from Alaska is going to recognize a lot of the local architecture. And to help us navigate our way through that burning wilderness is our friend David Maletti. Hey David, introduce yourself. Yeah, David Maletti. I was uh, co-owner of Mass Sound and Mass Studios with my good friend Paul Brown during that era. We also did a lot of uh, live sound reinforcement work at the time. And I was fortunate to be a member of the band The XQs and to be on the fringes with the band Model Citizen as we all were uh, intermingling in those days of the 80s and the music scene in Anchorage. Where are you? Currently? Where the hell are you? I am on the Big Island on the wet side over uh, just south of Pahoa, um, which is uh, interestingly enough, I was here in 1973, and then by chance I found myself back here again. But it's beautiful here. I'm on 20 acres uh, 12 kilometers as the crow flies from the volcano that's currently erupting. So <laughs> life is real. You're one of the closest connections I have to what was going on in the 80s. Yeah. Who's still alive. <laughs> yeah, right. The music that I'm running across now because I'm doing this music archive project that's been yeah. going on for about almost 10 years now. I'm running across stuff that I really like and it's music from the studio, but elsewhere also, like discovering what else is going on sort of concurrently to what I was recording. Uh -huh. now, I didn't get out much, so I have questions about <laughs> what was going on in Anchorage. So um, if you could, can you paint a picture of Anchorage? Y yeah, yeah. So specifically in the 80s, my just my overall arc, you know, was... Um, in the 70s, while I was still in high school, we started uh, recording stuff in the basement. You know, I bought a TAC-3340 and we started doing <laughs> four-track recording that way. And that's where the interest bloomed. And ar around that time when I was putting that gear together was when I got the call from uh, Arctic Studios, the guy that was put, put together that uh, recording studio basically for his daughter because he thought she had the talent to be a country singer and so he built the studio it takes a lot it didn't pan out the things stars have to align and we just have the milky way yep so i picked up my toys and uh <laughs> kept the dream alive bought a house and started recording in the basement there the the biggest adventure for me was and i'm just telling you this uh between because you'll get this with the dream of and and i know what you know the development of your place over the years and and the kind of just crazy number of hours you put into that you know it's it's uh it's like a your own personal pyramid you know <laughs> so we we leased that fur traders vault down on fourth avenue from audie moore and he owned that whole city block down there that had legal pizza and and all of that stuff and we leased that fur traders vault oh god it was just insane the amount of work we put into you know, concrete sawing for a window from the control room. The door that you went from the passageway to the control room was actually the old safe door because it was the safe where you went in there. It was this like giant eight foot tall bank vault door, you know, which I left in place because it was so freaking cool. 
you know, just there were so many really cool things about that place. And a big art wall down there. There was a big signature wall, all kinds of just really cool things that people put in when they when they came down to record and everything, you know, and then really detailed, something to look at everywhere. I really like that. So the, the way my story goes is one day Audie came downstairs like we were just getting up on step with the studio, you know, we're just going, OK, we can make a deal with this. And, and he came downstairs with a, a pizza and a six pack of beer. And he said, I got some bad news for you guys. I'm like, oh, and he's like, I just got offered more money than I've ever even thought about in my life for this whole city block because they want to build a new courthouse and we had basically six months to you know retrieve what we could I mean it was all built in you know there was nothing to retrieve drag our gear out of there and kiss all those hours goodbye I have a few photographs one of the boxes I have is a bunch of old photographs and it does have like down-home guitar newsletter in it and some photos and stuff. It, it doesn't take much with a photograph to trigger a memory of yeah. something. But I, I feel it's the same way with music, too. Suddenly you remember, oh, yeah, skinny lapels. Yeah. There's a, was a model citizen song, uh, Spinard Beat. Yep, yep, the Spinard Beat video and that, that, that eclectic yeah. style, yeah. So for those who don't know, Spinard is an area of Anchorage that has always been pretty funky. Here's the song Spinard Beat, not from your band, The Excuse, but from Paul Brown's band, Model Citizen. Bought myself a can of seven, made a sandwich for Governor Heaven. They started rolling on the floor, can kick his feet. There's naked ladies dancing At least they're not in the street I'm getting abused on 4th Avenue Cause it's a beach Spinard
So Model Citizen was Paul Brown's band. So tell me a little bit about Paul. Well, Paul and I knew each other from junior high. We were, we were best buds instantly from junior high. We were in band together and, uh, and just, yeah, we were pretty much inseparable. Uh, and, and it was, yeah. And, and um, I, I still, I mean, he's been gone a few years now and I still consider him my best friend, which is a little odd. But, um, you know, no one has been uh, a part of my life for that long. Uh, like like he was, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we met that way, and then uh, it was just a natural evolution. Uh, he bought a van, this old Ford Econoline van, and we got a friend of ours to paint the Mass Studios logo on the side. And the first thing we did with that van was recorded flight at the Sundowner Drive-In when they were opening for Kiss and Savoy Brown. So I set up, uh, I took like two 16 foot two by fours and strap them to the masts of those speakers like when you pull in the drive-in and you grab your speaker and the sundowner because it was alaskan drive-in you had a speaker and a heater <laughs> remember those you lift that heater into the car and oh yeah <laughs> that's that's Truly gotta alaskan. be osha approved <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i strapped these 16 foot two by fours put the mics at the top and ran the cables back to the van. You know, I'm going to get a two track field recording, right? Little did we know that Savoy Brown and Kiss were both going to be so freaking drunk that they couldn't stand up on stage, you know, and that, that, <laughs> that was going to be the case. Right. Um, yeah, that's but, legendary. And that was kind of my introduction <laughs> to live recording. So yet I persisted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I was doing a lot of live sound too, you know. Paul and I produced those Harvest concerts out there, and and right. So tell us about those shows. Yeah, so um, we had some friends that were Harvest and Bud out in the, and they had a bunch of property, and so uh, we hauled all that stuff out into the boonies and held this uh, <laughs> the Harvest concert, the first and the second one, uh, out in the middle of nowhere on this property. And generators, you know, and just uh, uh, it. And uh, I don't know if you remember Madness Park. It was so that was another thing out in the valley. The guy had the the property. It kind of it kind of spawned off of that doing those harvests. And he was doing concerts out there in the valley. And uh, I showed up to do uh, sound for one of them. And it was like the usual suspects showing up. You know, I think Matt Hammer was still playing at that time. And, and um, the, the funny part was he, he hired the brothers for security out there, the motorcycle oh, the, gang. And the brothers, they ended up becoming the Hells Angels up here, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they ended up being the, the worst idea for security because they became the problem. So anyway yeah because no one knew what happened in altamont <laughs> <laughs> right you wrote the song loran yeah and i didn't I, I think i had forgotten who loran was until the name came up again with uh your son who unfortunately also is a musician <laughs> a brilliant one i gotta say and i'm not saying <laughs> that as a he, god no, what a monster awesome. it skips a generation doesn't it <laughs> Apparently, but <laughs> you wrote Loran, but it ended up getting used by uh, Model Citizen. Yeah, we recorded Loran 
because uh, I have a recording of it somewhere. I kept that one because I ended up marrying her. <laughs> At the time I wrote the song, I was just infatuated with her. Uh, sh and she was Carrie's sister. All right, let's take a listen. This is Model Citizen playing Loran. interesting period. It felt to me like everything in the scene was working as a wheel, despite all of the fighting and, and troubles and good times and bad times. It, it felt like it was all part of the same vehicle moving forward in a cantankerous yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we were all friends, too. I mean, because, uh, you know, Carrie Payne and Matt Charles, so Carrie Payne, who was in XQs, and Matt Charles, who was in Model Citizen, they were in uh, Baby Knockers together and ended up um, going to Seattle and doing some gigs there in the Seattle scene and stuff before coming back to Alaska. Casey had quite a good trajectory. He was in that, and then he was in uh, Bison. Yeah, well, and Bison was somewhat concurrent years. with yeah. XQs even, and bef kind of before, during, really? and after. Rick Robison, mm -hmm. who had a great voice. Yeah, and Ken Ton mm -hmm. was in bison wasn't he? he he did do a a tour in bison yep bass players can't, oh man can't like i said it, it, yeah, it was the revolving door of bass players and but they provided some of the <laughs> best stories like one time uh we played alice's champagne palace and uh back then we played till like four in the morning people yeah, yeah clubs were open till yeah then. and we played right until four in the morning and then we had to be back to play coots that night in Anchorage from Homer, on our way back to town, um, the wheel bearing went out in the van. We were hauling all our gear into town with. So Scott's brother, we, we call him Sky King, 
<laughs> after that because he was a pilot. <laughs> he specialized in going out and getting people's planes that they had to ditch or were damaged out in the bush. He would go out there, piece them back together, and fly them to town where they could be repaired properly. <laughs> the guy was a, wow, yeah. flying a broken plane. Yeah. So we lose this wheel bearing. So we go back up the road to this warehouse, call him on the phone, say, this is what we need. We need this wheel bearing, man. We need you to bring it to us. He goes to Napa and Anchorage, gets the wheel bearing, jumps in his plane, flies up to where we are near Nanana, lands on the highway with the wheel bearing, helps us put it in and get the van going again and then takes off again. It was like, how does that even happen? That's like adventures on the road. <laughs> all for a gig at Coots. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. All for a gig at Coots. Whatever. During that whole adventure, though, of him landing on the highway, bringing us the wheel bearing and all of that, the, our bass player at the time, Greg, uh, ate a burrito and went to sleep in the ditch <laughs> in a sleeping bag. <laughs> Why he chose to sleep in the ditch, I don't know. But Oh, it's a spam burrito he made in the, in the kitchen at Alice's before we left. Ate his spam burrito and fell asleep in the ditch during that whole event. Song six. What was song six? Do you remember? I think it was one of those in development things. Carrie and I had so many songs in development together. Mm -hmm. um, so Carrie ended up being my brother-in-law, but I was really close to him too, creatively. All right. Well, here, take a listen. This is song six from the Excuse. Yeah. 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 channels while she's changing the sheets empty emotions we've all got to complete there ain't no erase or rewind in real life no fake no fake no time to take five as he pulls out of town he pulls out another cigarette Please, you'll have to wait all until forgets She's held him up too many times in the past He don't know what he wants, but he wants it fast oh!
Vogue. Wow, that just that just gave me chills because I I had forgotten about that. Yeah, that was a that was an all of us collaboration, definitely. Because I I remember when Carrie and I. Uh, we were actually uh, kind of inspired by Talking Heads when we were <laughs> uh, working that because I was telling him how much I I love David Byrne because I, I wished I could just get up there and be my goofy ass self like that, sing the way I sing, you know, and 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 people would appreciate it. But I just didn't have the confidence to do that, you know, and then introducing the idea and then Scott making it work. Right. Uh, just that drive. Right. And right. Yeah. So here's another one. This is uh, You've Been Running from the XQs.
<laughs> tell, tell me a little speak, bit about speaking that. Speaking of the David Byrne influence, that was so. This is this has always been my you know my when I first started meditating in '73, I really I got into the the Vedic you know absolutely accessing the center of self and and I just that that song was some kind of an attempt to bring a spiritual piece into it you know you are a being on a planet that goes in circles I, I think it's important that this idea gets expressed <laughs> just like talking it yeah. you know and, <laughs> and and uh and then the the whole you've been running thing, you know, because uh, you've been running from the truth inside you um, yeah. and uh, just trying to bring kind of a, a spiritual examination into uh, uh, a driving thing like like I think David Byrne does so well. Right. Just uh, now the breakdown in the middle of this thing. Who's who is that's, that? That's me and my Roland 808. <laughs> That part, I just wanted that break to be absolute, the, the frustration of the world blowing in your face and, <laughs> and I'm standing my ground. <laughs> oh, it's great. I, that's one of my favorites on here, man. <laughs> yeah, it was just like holding down one key on the on a arpeggiator on the Roland. Right, you know, that's and right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, music is metaphor. Right. Yeah, sometimes it just takes one key. It's the reason you do it that matters. There you, know? you go. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we touched on this next one a little bit. Uh, this one is, uh, you wrote this. It's Try from the XQs.
somewhat the same message, huh? Well, y yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm holding on to the world just to keep from falling off. It, re it reminded me, the, that came from uh, my dad telling me a story about the one time he drank. My dad was a Baptist minister, and, uh, but the one time he drank was during Prohibition, and he said he drank some like bathtub gin, and he got so drunk he was holding on to blades of grass in the yard to keep from being spun off the earth. <laughs> that's what, and I'm going... Well, God, that's the way I feel in life sometimes, Dad. It's just like I'm holding on to the earth just to keep from getting <laughs> flung off, man. Uh, well, I'll tell you one of my memories from recording with you. I'll just pop it out because I almost said it a little earlier was when we were in there and, and we, uh, we tracked my song, Try. And, and I, I wanted to do something with the chorus, with the try to and and we were just sampling around with it. And so you sampled it into the keyboard and uh, yeah, go, yeah. yeah, perfect. And it, so there's that vocorder kind of uh, tri-section there that was totally you, man. That was so cool. Oh, my God, that's right. It was that terrible sampler, the Mirage. <laughs> and that, that word try was as long as you could make a sample <laughs> back in the 80s because of memory. That's Carrie. Oh, yeah. That's Carrie. Yeah, it is that kind of Tom Petty-ish 
Tom Petty meets Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love those just kind of really basic and but full harmonies, too. They're really fun. So where exactly were the XQs playing? So, and, the, you know, the club scene back then, you know, the Monkey Wharf. Um, man, there will never be a place like that again. <laughs> oh, man, you got to describe the Monkey Wharf. The Monkey Wharf was, you know, behind the bar, they had like 30 monkeys living like monkeys do for everyone to see right there behind the bar you know and uh it really was kind of a frightening parallel to what was going on on the other side of the bar when you really <laughs> look at how it's going you know <laughs> the, everybody had kind of the same interests at heart right <laughs> monkeys flinging their shit at each other and having sex and yeah it was uh so it was such an interesting place, though, that I'm sure would never fly now with health department regulations and stuff. But what a unique piece of Anchorage history, you know, the wharf. And um, you play there much? There was. Yeah, there was kind of turf wars there between Razor and the XQs, you know, um, about who was the, the, the most popular band who was drawing the biggest crowds into the wharf, you know. And of course, the the guy that was in charge of of hiring the bands then was kind of playing that up, playing us against each other, you know, to try and right. get the price down and, and that kind of thing. But it was it was really interesting because uh, my buddy Ken Ton um, played with Razor for a while, bass player, and um, mm -hmm. then he joined XQs later on. So Ken was in the XQs with you. Well, who all was in the band? Me and Kerry uh, Payne. He was the, primarily the vocalist and rhythm guitar, and he did a lot of the vocals. The other main vocalist was Scott Emery, who, of course, is Nervous Rex. Still playing, still, yeah. still at it and gigging up here. I love Scott, man. He's a, a, what a talented guy, you know. During that time, I was so impressed with how he could take a popular song, because we were playing coots a lot. We played coots, mm -hmm. uh, Alice's Champagne Palace. We did you know, the fair in uh, Fairbanks. No Scott's way. ability to, to cover, you know, and sing and play at the same time still baffles me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> with attitude also, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yep. He's, he's not walking through anything. So, okay, so, so you're calling it Coots, but uh, to anybody who's not from here, it got its nickname as Coots, but I think at the time it was still Chilkoot Charlie's. World famous Chilkoot Charlies. Can you describe, because you've gone over the Monkey Wharf, which of course there's no parallel, but there's no parallel to Chilkoot Charlies either. So oh, at the time no. it wasn't as huge as it is now. Right, right. It was just just what they call the, the South Side now was the whole thing. And the, the peanut shells on the floor was the big deal originally, you know, but then uh, safety precautions and all that, they ended up having to do fire retardant <laughs> sawdust on the floor which was oh super good for your health we would go home after singing a night in there and cough up black stuff like crazy that that came out of those nets they had hanging in the ceiling that were probably just coated in who knows what probably asbestos i don't know and you know coots could be a rough place you know a lot of people were scared to go in there they wouldn't come to see us play there i'm just like what are you talking about well man? it was the hell's angels bar right
I sense a theme to this album. Yeah, do you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, real life happening, how a breakup works. Angsty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and we all know how that works out for artists, right? If you don't right. own the experience, the experience owns you, and it drives you into dark places. So what was the process for the band in making these songs come to life? It was mostly the, Carrie, right? Yeah, yeah, that song in particular. Um, you know, it happened at different points. They would be either like, I'm trying to do something with this, and kind of jing, 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 and then we sometimes would sit and work something out together, like either me and Carrie or Carrie and Kaz or you know it's like we would do it in pods sometimes and uh, sometimes the ideas would be much more well developed before they came like I get a song idea I hear the lyric and the bass line and the feel right all at once kind of and it's just it's more like a download in my experience so I would track my stuff um, on the little Fostex four track cassette I had out in the lean-to and on my trailer I was living in at the time and and then take that to rehearsal so we'd all bring pieces of ideas in like that to rehearsal um, I was the only one with anything to record on those so a lot of times they would um, come over and you know track an idea so we could take it to rehearsal and then we would develop a lot of those things were so um, organic developed together I think that was one of the really exciting things about that collaboration was, um, you know, like we said, Scott's an amazing vocalist and just got a meter in his head for rhythm, you know, and, and that kind of solidity when you go, I got an idea about this, and then they come up with something, and it's just like, yeah, there it is.
you think things get exercised by doing art about them? Yeah, I do. I think that's one potential way, but it can also wear the groove a little deeper. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes listening to the blues is a relief and sometimes it's jumping into the thick a little too much. Right. I mean, it can go both ways. So, yeah, I think sometimes that's a cathartic release to get that stuff out. And sometimes it's a pity party. <laughs>
solid guitar playing. Yeah. Nice harmonies, that, man. Yeah, that uh, that song was Carrie's. That bridge section was was definitely my influence. Because <laughs> I, I, I love those kind of open... It, uh, all of a sudden, this song opens up, and there's this air, right? Uh, and those yeah. harmonies are just sweet. And then you go back into the, the drive. Well, I'll tell you, Dave, it's so nice to have a an excuse to play this because it's just been one of That's, my favorites since we first recorded well, the, it. Man, I, you know, I think about, uh, you know, the way things work out and the, the timing of things. And it, it was a, it was an incredible era. There was a lot of creativity and a lot of egos. How old were we? We were in our twenties, right? Right. I think everybody hits their thirties and wants, still wants a few more years to get their twenties, right? Fix a thing or two, <laughs> right. go back and get rid of 26 yeah. if you can. Yeah. It's funny. I I have a song that I'm still working on from that era. So maybe maybe I'll bring you my idea and you can help me out with it. <laughs> <laughs> and on a on a personal note too, like me saying that I have, you know, favorite songs. I think you guys the excuse um had had your finger on the pulse. I think you were nailing what was going on around you. And I think people paid attention and the girls were hanging at the gigs cuz you were saying what it was that needed to be said yeah well and the original music and you know one of the funnest things about the excuse was taking old 60s songs and rocking the hell out of them uh kinks and monkeys and um oh my god and you know the packed sweaty dance floor there's just, <laughs> you know, there's just a, yeah. that's, that's the energy that people had at that point, not just the cocaine fueled energy, but the, you know, the, yeah. the where our yeah. heads were at the time, like you say, you know, where our heads were at the time. It's interesting to have that perspective now. Let's talk about the band name. Absolutely. Originally, it was going to be no excuse. And... Then one night sitting around, um, uh, what about just excuse? We, we don't need one, and we don't need one for our name either. And then uh, Casey designed the logo at the time, um, which I have one of the buttons in my memorabilia. But that that excuse logo, and when you turn it upside down, it looked like sex. So yeah, that says something about the era as well, doesn't it? Now, the story I had heard and that I, that has burdened me all these years, not a burden, but uh, the one I've been remembering was that you were always hearing excuses from Casey. Oh, yo, yeah. Maybe both. Nope. I, I, it was part of the drive about if we're going to be serious about this, we, you know, th th then there's no excuse, you know, and if there's if there's always excuses, there's going to be no excuse. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would point the finger at Casey as much, but I would say that the rest of us probably waited on him quite a bit. And partly because he was such a perfectionist as far as his setup and everything, you know, but... My memories yeah. of Casey are him perched on a stool getting the harmonies right. <laughs> and it's the guitar player in him, you know, you got to get that third in tune. Yep. He'd pick the hard part and nail it. And it made it all feel good. You know, you're actually trying to get something across. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and keeping in touch with what your intention was, right? Because you can get so married to the way you want to express that. No, I want to do the lick like this. No, I want to do the lick like this. Then, well, what was your intention with it? And let the intention come back and let the lick be something a little different, maybe, you know, and let the song find itself yeah. even. 
And you know, the other thing that makes me think of Kurt is I work as a therapist now and as a life coach and, and work with a lot of different modalities, obviously, and perspectives. And, and I, I do a, a weekly group, right, where I pick a topic and, and talk about listening to inner self or, um, you know, a, a lot of different practical ways of owning your experience as a human being, I'm going to say, as opposed to letting experience own you and drive you to certain behaviors, right? But um, the thing I realize is all those years in the studio on the other side of the glass was I was being a therapist to those artists in there to let them open up and be vulnerable yeah. and to allow them to let that performance find itself, you know, and, and uh, stop with the negative self-talk, you know, take a breath and let, <laughs> I'm doing that still decades yeah. later, but that was my training ground yeah. was being an engineer behind the board, you know, so I know you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, it, it starts the second someone walks in the door of the first phone call. Yeah. I, I really appreciate um, this, man. You know, uh, I don't know how it oh, works out that great. sometimes our favorite people and people that we feel are really like us, we just miss out on the opportunities to really spend time and do this. You know, it's just. Yeah, <laughs> yeah listen, man, it's mutual. My overall, just my sense after, you know, doing this call with you is I wish you and I had spent more time together, <laughs> you know, and worked together yeah, a lot likewise. more. Yeah. Because uh, I think, yeah. wow, how, how amazing that could have been, you know, but. Yeah, in our next life. Yeah. It's really been great, Dave, man. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk soon. Enjoy your palm trees and lava. See you here, man. See you soon, brother. To play us out from 1984, here's Let's Talk About Pop from Model Citizen. show is produced by me, Kurt Riemann, in Therapeutic Surreal Studios in downtown Anchorage, Alaska, not too far from where Dave's place was. If you like what you heard, there's plenty more to listen to. Find the Alaska Music Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get such things. <laughs>
And again, I'd like to personally thank David Maletti for helping me finally remember what happened in the 80s. If you remember other bands from that era or have a recording of a band you think we'd be interested in hearing, drop us a line at nightworksmedia.com. The Alaska Music Archives would be very interested in hearing what you've got. We're collecting the recorded history of music in Alaska from the dawn of time up through tomorrow. Find more on nightworksmedia.com. Either way, drop us a line, let us know what you think. You could also like us on Facebook. So until next time, have a good time. Stay safe and stay warm with an Alaskan song in your heart.